This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Well may we say God save the Queen because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 81 for Friday 15th of February 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's been happening to our country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is Jeremy Poxon from the Unemployed Workers' Union. Welcome. Hello, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Uh, there's a huge amount that we need to talk about in the government's war on the poor that you are going to be exactly the right person to have a chat with about it. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm going to turn it off but at the very sadly, beginning. Sadly, they're committing war on, on, on you know, heaps of other people we need, to, we, need to get to, we need to get to first. Well, really, in the conservative mindset, it pretty much is, the, who are the targets of the Daily Telegraph? Who are the ones that the, you know, the, the workers out there are being told, they're coming for you? you know, the pe- don't look up. Don't look at the people who are really screwing you. Look at the, look at the poor refugees. They must be out getting stuff from you. And look at the, the unemployed. They, they must be sitting on the beach. Absolutely. When, you know, conservatives are, are, are out of ideas, as we saw in the recent Victorian uh, conservative strategy with Matthew Guy, it's, uh, you know, uh, you know try, and, try and pretend that Australia is about to be overrun uh, by foreign and, and brown uh, bodies. Uh, what was Dutton saying on the ABC the other day that we're, because of this Medivac bill, we're going to be letting pedophiles and, and rapists and, and murderers in? Yeah, so this is Cormen in the Senate. As a result of Bill Shorten's bill, rapists, murderers and pedophiles will still get a free pass into this country. <laughs> that, that is so shameless. And, and, and they've been given an opportunity to walk it back. Because obviously what has actually passed the Senate is that uh, there'll be a, uh, two doctors can recommend uh, if somebody's unwell, then it goes to the minister. If the minister refuses on health grounds, then it goes to a medical panel. If the minister refuses on character grounds, which would be if somebody was a serious criminal, uh, in fact, they've even left in the national security one, so it's incredibly broad, um, then yes, that is appellable to the courts as it is now, but it basically all that's changed is that the minister isn't in the power of making... He's not there to just make medical decisions. He can still make decisions on the other grounds, the ones that the government's right. ranting about. But Peter Dutton is not a doctor, and all of his ranting about how, why would you let doctors make decisions on people's medical needs? Well, there's going to be a medical panel that will review what the first two doctors um, recommend if he refuses it. Like, I'm not quite sure how much more reasonable method of determining if somebody is sick you could possibly have not this it's not like the shonky um what was the line from erica betts that was oh people just going to say all you've got to do is come to australia and then chuck a sickie and you'll, you'll be straight in like seriously this has all been outlined very i feel like very thoroughly and professionally uh in the bill that you know there's going to be uh you know a team this team of doctors and all this oversight uh going into you know who you know who gets to uh, receive medical care. So the fact that Corman said that 
uh, in Parliament, and then as you say, they had they had time to sort of you know maybe reflect <laughs> on some of that hyperbole and, and maybe try and pull some of it back, but uh, they just doubled down. Oh, here's Michael McCormack being called on it and refusing to back down. But isn't it better to to stay off the hyperbole though, in terms of saying rapists and pedophiles? And I mean, people can see through that. Well, unfortunately, that's what we're going to get in the future. And unfortunately, that's not what... true, though, Michael McCormack, that rapists and murderers would come here. A, uh, well, it could not... be if they... It, 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 it could well be if that... And, and look, at the end of the day, uh, those people who are in regional processing centres, if they had a valid case to be in Australia, uh, you know, there, there are ways and means to get here. There are ways and means to get... But there are provisions in the bill that says... That's not true. Like Laura, Laura said there, you know, the people in question for ministerial discretion on security... On serious criminal behaviour, uh, so I'm just. Well, the point I'm making is, and then you it can, goes you to can, a panel. It goes to the minister, and that, then it goes to a panel. But that's the on the medical. But that's only on the medical. Well, the panel, not on the security. Ministerial discretion, and, and not on not on the security they can't. Well, but you can get a panel that overturns a minister's decision, and, and the panel can be grounds. made up of people who who have who have activist views. But only on the medical component, not on security or well, again, criminal grounds. That's doctors. the minister who decides. Well, you can get activist doctors who, who think, you know, activist everybody... doctors don't have any effect on character and criminal grounds. That's, that's the point. Well, the fact is, I, I still believe that uh, you could get a panel <laughs> made up of people who have got different opinions than, uh, than our strong broader protection. <laughs> like, it couldn't be more shameless about it. And the Prime Minister's no different. This is... Morrison being questioned by Catherine Murphy from The Guardian. Uh, uh, your government MPs, people like Tony Abbott, are saying that as a consequence of the bill that passed the House mm. yesterday, uh, it's now get on a boat, get to Nauru, get sick and get to Australia. When the law that passed the House well, I'm yesterday... I'm sorry, that is entirely no, no, possible. No, if, if, if I, that is entirely if I possible. Can, if I can finish. The law that passed the House yesterday clearly ring fences uh, to the current cohort. So what Mr Abbott is saying is not true. No, I'm so, sorry. And, Catherine, and, 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 you, you fail to understand that people smugglers don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. They deal with the psychology of messaging of whether things are stronger or whether things are weaker. It might be all fine and nice to talk about these nuances here in this courtyard, but when you're in a village in Indonesia and someone selling you a, a, a product, there's, there's, no, there's no protections or truth and advertising laws for people smugglers. They just sell the message. And what Tony Abbott has said is exactly what the people it's smugglers will be saying. Prime Minister, yes, Prime Minister, it's not no, a nuance, sorry, it's, actual, it's a fact. And no. if I may... It is a nuance which the people smugglers will ignore. And what is true today, Catherine, what is true today is as a result of what happened in the Parliament yesterday and what is happening in the Senate now is our border protection laws are weaker than they were two days ago. That's a fact. So under Morrison's argument is that the thing that makes a difference as to whether boats come is whether you're communicating the message that the borders are weaker or stronger. Nothing, nothing more, nothing less. It's just whether you're saying that they're weaker or stronger. So why the hell has the Liberal Party spent the entire week screaming that our borders are now weak? Like, what could be, if that is, if that were true, if that's what was motivating people smugglers, in quotes, and if people smuggling was evil and wrong, as bipartisan consensus appears to be, like, do these people sit down and watch Schindler's List and be like, God, I hope that Oscar Schindler gets what's coming to him. There are, you know, look, they're, they're, they're a conservative government who are lagging behind in the polls with an election looming oh. to 
uh, sort of play up, you know, Australia's fears of of some sort of shaky, porous border, which is all Labor's and and the Greens' uh, fault. Uh, even with even with you know good journalists like like Catherine Murphy, and she wrote a great sort of piece going through all the flaws. Uh, in 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 Morrison's uh, thinking on this, it doesn't really matter uh, to them. Uh, I feel like they're uh, they're trying to uh, make border security uh, an issue that oh, makes that, you know, regular Australians angry, and they're hoping to uh, milk that for all it's worth. And because they've and, got nothing and else, and literally they have nothing else. Yeah, well, and and they're trying they're trying to think of. In fact, they're specifically called on it. Like they were asking Morrison. So basically, basically Morrison has said, uh, if a boat comes between now and the election, that's that's Shorten's fault. If one doesn't, that's our credit. Mm. The people smugglers know my resolve. They know Peter Dutton's resolve. They know we will do everything in our power to stop them at every point, and we remain standing here to ensure that they don't come. So if they don't come. It'll be because of the work and the decisions we are now taking and the actions we are putting in place. If they do come, you can thank the Labor Party and Bill Shorten because he is the one who has led this process. He has led this process to weaken and compromise our borders. Wow, you could not get a more transparent what setting this setting the test in in a, in a one-sided ludicrous way. And particular but fundamentally, he's he's setting up what is such a ludicrous um, test. They're basically hoping that a boat will come so they can scream, look, our borders are weaker. But he's just pretty much admitted that his entire thing is to scream our borders are weaker to try and encourage a boat. Mm. So all of his, you know, when he was being asked, are they going to apologise to the victims of the of the banks after the Royal Commission and, and Morrison's coming up in Parliament just screaming, when are you going to apologise for the 1,200 deaths at sea crap? Why won't the Prime Minister say sorry to the victims of the banks? When will the Labor Party apologise for 50,000 people yeah. turning up on 800 boats? Why does the Prime Minister find it so hard to just admit he got it wrong? When will the Labor Party apologise for 1,200 deaths at sea? On your head, your head, your head, and your head. They are all there. Right. Um, he's specifically encouraging them. Now, obviously, there's all the other points about how... How does turning boats back at sea save lives from drowning? You're dragging boats that you say are unseaworthy back to sea. That doesn't exactly. stop people drowning. Making them go other ways doesn't stop people drowning. Forcing them to stay in danger in um, the countries that they would have fled doesn't save them from dying. Like, they're not interested in them, say, them being safe. And if they were, it would be really straightforward. What you do, you'd, be, you'd let them have a visa to come. And I think people... I don't think this all... I'm hoping this, this whole approach... Uh, doesn't work, even though it has sort of this kind of fear-mongering and he's approach immediately... has worked in the past. I feel like, you know, definitely progressives, but even sort of people, uh, you know, people more into centre and people more into centre-right are starting to see through um, this fluff, I gather. And But even even the ABC are, are reporting it as, as, well, you know, if a boat does arrive, then, that, you know, that, then Morrison will be, you know, they'll be, have a good electoral point there. And you're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. The Conservatives have had to... The Liberal Party have had to admit that boats have kept coming. Well, who do you think they're turning around? Mm. They are still turning... Not just counting the one that actually arrived at the Daintree the other, like, a couple of months ago. But in between, there are lots of boats that they intercept and turn around. As they had to admit uh, back last year, you've got this exchange between uh, Border Force and Senator Kim Carr from Labor. So this is Senator Carr, and uh, starting with Carr. Peter, Peter Dutton has stated we haven't had a successful boat arrival in now over 1,100 days. Did a boat arrive on Sabo Island on the 20th of August? Yes. And did it involve six Chinese nationals? Yes. 
And was there a New Guinean people smuggler involved? There was a New Guinean on board, yes. Why is that not a rival in Australia? It's not an arrival under the scope of Operation Sovereign Borders. Oh, I see. So, I want to be clear, just so that we understand what a thousand days means, it doesn't mean Chinese, it doesn't mean East Coast? We get illegal arrivals all the time and have for years, as you know. The reason Operation Sovereign Borders was set up was not to deal with Papua New Guinea. As I articulated, it was to do with people arriving on the high seas, primarily out of Indonesia and Sri Lanka. Sometimes when a boat arrives, it actually doesn't. It depends on where it comes from. Now, if you if you ask if they ask point blank, because I, I really think that every single journalist in the Canberra bubble right now should be every everybody in the Get Press Gallery should be asking Morrison every time they see him and not letting him duck it, because you of course would duck it immediately, but just keep asking him. When did you last turn a boat back? When was a boat last turned back? When was a boat last turned back? When was the last boat turned back? Or more specifically, when was the boat last intercepted? When was the boat last intercepted? When was the boat last intercepted? Because, of course, they are intercepting them and turning them back because they, they never stopped all, coming. All the, all the time, apparently, yeah. Yeah. When they say they stopped, they mean they stopped them arriving because they intercept them and drag them back. They, so when he turns around and says, if a boat comes, that's on labour. No, because they're still coming. They never stopped coming. They're coming under you. And you simply going, okay, next boat that arrives, instead of turning it back, we'll take it to Christmas Island that we've just well, suddenly problem... dramatically reopened for like, what was it, $1.1 billion we're reopening Christmas Island. And this is, and this is I guess, where um, your ABC and some of the press are sort of bought into um, this, this narrative. I can sort of see, you know, that... Uh, well, if Morrison said, you know, Morrison said this, and if a boat does come, and that's come after the after the medivac thing, but because journos haven't been asking these questions, like you say about 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 arrivals, there's going to be an arrival that comes. The government's going to publicise its arrival, and and look what's going to happen. They're going to seem, you know, rational and and sensible when they've just you know fudged this whole narrative. Yeah, completely. And, and no, no, the ABC, the Guardian, they repeat this lie that they stopped the boats. Like it's written down now. It's like repeated as if it's a, a given fact. Mm. Well, you know, it might be a bit harsh, but you've got to concede they they did stop the boats. No, mm. no, they didn't. They never stopped the boats. The boats kept coming. That's a whole separate issue as to whether they should stop the boats, because of course, stopping people from, I I think they should stop boats in the sense of let them have visas to come by air. Yep. Um, you know, in the same way as if somebody wants to come from Canada, they can come out here and then they can apply for asylum when they arrive. They can get a visa to come. Whereas if you're fleeing from Afghanistan and you apply for a, a visa, you're in the class where Australia, the Australian government says, no, mm-hmm. you can't get on a plane to fly here. Um, like, it's it's a racist visa policy. And, and, obvi- and, and it obviously is because if people could fly here and be processed at the airport, which would cost vastly less. Like, they come in, you don't have to go hunting for them. They come in, they apply for refuge at the airport, you take, you process them, you determine if they're refugees or not, and then you make the decision there. Like, that would be a really straightforward, cost-effective system that would have nobody dying at sea. But, of course, the real issue here is not because is they don't really care about people dying at sea. What they actually care about is people arriving here safely. And, in fact, Morrison said it. And believe me, every arrival is on Bill Shorten and Labor's head. He made it very clear that what he's afraid of is them arriving. And the yep. people he's speaking to are afraid of them arriving. And this whole stopping deaths at sea thing is a, is a disingenuous cant. It's nonsense. They don't care about it. And it's not real. Yeah, absolutely. They, they you know, that's, there's, I don't think there's any, any sense. And I think, you know, this, this, you know, whole medivac drama has shown that they don't care about uh, refugee safety. Uh, one, one iota that, and that's always been like such a disingenuous uh, argument. Uh, from a certain wing of wing of politics against you know those of us who want more humane uh, you know lenient um, border laws. 
And the part of the thing that pisses me off about what Labor's done on this is that they have given the coalition a pass on all of these lines. They have conceded people smugglers are bad. Mm. They've conceded there were deaths at sea when you're not when you don't have strong borders. They've conceded strong borders are, are more important than human lives. Like they have conceded so many of the fundamental bullshit lines on which the entire border security offshore processing anti-refugee um, case from the government is run that they don't it's very hard for them to defend uh, even when they when there's a bit of a shadow of light between them and the government it's very hard for them to argue any of the reasons why what they're doing is actually vastly preferable because they've already conceded all these lies about why actually you basically should brutalize them into the ground well it's the same it's the same horrible it's you know they support the same horrible uh, policy but I think they hope you know that it has a bit of a more humane taste in oh. in, in in the mouth uh, I think there's you know there was a tweet um, Tanya Plibersek wrote uh, very soon after the Medivac stuff that's you know doubled down on Labor's commitment uh, to border security oh, but yeah. we can be humane at the same time and, and take people who are dying and and that's what Shorten says every time like yeah. every time he's asked about it, he's like we can have strong borders but still be compassionate mm. Ironically, uh, Cam Smith, who was the host last week, has done a stuck in my craw on this on this very subject. He's done it twice because, of course, the fast moving events made the first version uh, out of date very quickly. Ahoy there! Well, may we say, as Jeremy and co-host, it's your old friend Cam Smith, back with something that is stuck in my craw. It is eight forty-five a.m. on the fifteenth of February, twenty nineteen, and I am very much aware as I record this craw stuckage that it may very well fall victim to a little something we call Jeremy's Curse, when the fast-moving nature of news quickly proves the folly of attempting to podcast about it. Nevertheless, we shall persist. What's stuck in my craw is the watering down of the Medivac legislation. Now, what was being proposed was not an especially inspiring blow struck in the fight to make Australia a country you might be slightly less ashamed to be associated with, But it was better than nothing, and for the people affected, of course, it was everything. It remains to be seen how the amendments will play out in practice. Extending the time it takes to consider a case to three days. No problem, I'm sure, in a medical emergency. And giving the minister discretion to overrule doctors on character grounds. Of course, why wouldn't you trust Peter Dutton over a doctor? I don't think it takes a rocket surgeon to know that this cruel and cynical government will seize on any loophole they can find to avoid helping asylum seekers. And in the end, it's all for what? Just to avoid getting wedged on boats. Which, in the end, was all pointless, because ScoMo and the rest of his opposition in government carried on with their unreality narrative just as they would anyway. If a single boat comes, it's all on Shorten. If no boats come, of course, it's all on the Coalition's strong borders. And while some of that unreality is being challenged by journalists, uh, the Michael McCormack Sky interview, a great case of this, the main point of that narrative remains largely unchallenged. The boats never stopped coming, and for all of the faux concern about the treacherous journey, the boats were just turned around and sent back the way they'd come. Anyway, that's what's stuck in my craw. Yeah, so what they ended up passing was weaker than what had passed the Senate originally. 
but not as weak as Labour was talking about doing, which was like having the, the, the time frame go off to indefinitely. Um, and the Greens said, nah, we're not voting for that. And so they had to all negotiate together and they got it down to three days, which is still way too long, but it's still... I can see why the Greens were like, yeah, okay, that now it's well, better than is, something. Yeah, I was incredibly worried when that you know first came out that Labour were going to you know cave on this you know, indefinite thing. So thank God some sanity uh, prevailed and, and they were able to work with the Greens to get you know something remotely decent obviously not obviously not great and not perfect but um thank 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 god something happened or it would have been an even more depressing (laughs) depressing week in politics than it it already is i feel like if you are a person who think who believes this narrative that australia giving uh refugees who have been in its care for what almost six years and the whole point of it has been to break them like that's how deterrence works like Mm. their line of we have to treat them badly to deter us from coming as a disincentive, yeah, yeah, like it is, it is collective punishment. It is punish this group of people. It's, it's the, it's you know, war crime stuff. It's punishing this group of innocent people to deter, to send a message to other people, people who haven't committed a crime, to punish other people from also not committing a crime and, and, and like seeking refuge. It's insane. Um, but yeah, when when they come here, they're under lock and key. They're not treated. They're not free. And mm. as soon as they're treated, they go back to Nauru. Like. This, the fact that Australia has gone completely bananas, our entire parliament, has, and, and half the nation who supports these bastards, well, it's not really, you know, half people don't vote for the Liberals, they, they skate in on preferences and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. But the, you know, the proportion of, Australia, of Australians who are on the Liberal side on treating refugees badly, like the idea that Australia, they think that Australia is so flimsy that if um, up to a thousand refugees, being the maximum, because that's the number that there, uh, get medical care in Australia and are then transported back again, then... You know, the entire country is going to collapse. How piss weak and flimsy do they yeah, think like, Australia like is? The, like the walls are going to come, going to come closing, closing in. Um, I just, you know, we have this idea of ourselves as, you know, uh, you know, some sort of uh, easygoing, <laughs> laid back uh, nation, but we're literally whipped into the the worst frenzy as soon as, uh, you know, as soon as any tiny remote possibility. Uh, that uh, that a boat person, you know, might need to uh, have emergency treatment on our shores. It's 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 really incredible to to sort of wake up and, and realize what kind of country we're living in. Sometimes, yeah. Well, the, can you imagine having that mindset? Like, and, and the the idea of they will these people who are like probably motivated by the idea of of somebody undeserving from overseas coming and getting some of their tax dollars and living on what they call welfare. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm doing a segue into what we're really talking about this week. Which is, <laughs> okay, so we're doing nice. Yeah. Um, oh, there's, there's lots of segues because there's the, the link, the re- way we treat refugees and the way we treat the unemployed, um, uh, there's so many parallels. Like it's, it's still the, the, the easy target of... Well, your whole, um, I feel like your whole uh, idea of, tr- you, know, keeping, you know, keeping refugees in these horrible, horrible conditions and like sending a message and, you know, disincentivizing uh you know people smugglers that whole rhetoric uh there's the, you know there's this whole line of of you know conservative thought that you know for example uh keeping new start as far below the poverty line as it is and keeping obligations up to uh, rec- receive receive income disincentivizes people to actually apply for you know apply for you know new start uh in the first place and and from talking to um, you know, many low-income Australians. I know people who drop out of the system just because they can't cope um, with their obligations. So, um, and, and it terrorises workers into copying what the work employers give you. Don't push for better conditions because there's a group of people we're starving to death that, that'll take your job. 
Um, Absolutely, it's uh, it's you know, uh, Marx was right about a few things, and it's his old like concept of like the reserve army of labor, where we have, you know, uh, I think there's six hundred and fifty thousand approximately Australians in job active uh, at the moment. Uh, people being kept below the poverty line, kept doing like Mickey Mouse activities, like work for the doll or, or whatever it is, and yeah, uh, basically a, a free pool for employers to uh, pick and choose from at will. Um, Even if when they're not if, just getting them for free, like you, the, those programs with like yeah, like or... Path or, or Work for the Doll, but um, but yeah, I think that's something we should you know probably talk about more, and you know because you know welfare, social security is a workers' rights uh, issue in that sense, but we tend to talk to we we tend to talk about welfare. Or social security yeah, in this sort of, in this sort of let's let's stop calling it welfare because it's not welfare makes it sound like it's a you know we're benevolently ha- you know that you should be grateful for what you get rather than it being if we want to live in a civilized society where um, people aren't sleeping on park benches which will hmm. want spikes on them now or and people aren't um, you know sharpening up the guillotines and coming for the rich the idea is social security is a bottom line thing you can. Hell, it's you can be an entrepreneur and try stuff because you know there's a bottom line. Like yep. people can try stuff. People, the idea is we have a bottom line, and we're not going to have in a, in a first world country people starving to death on the streets. That's the point of social right, security for us that we are a civilized a, country. A civilized country, every every citizen. Uh, no matter how bad they are, they might be terrible people, but they still fundamentally. Like, it's got to be. It's not a net if it's got giant holes in it. Yeah, exactly. It's like should... it's like every every Australian. You know, we used to call them entitlements, which is hmm. a, which is a better word. Um, than than welfare payouts or, or whatever else uh, people call them. You know, we you know we got together as a society uh, in the twentieth century and built a quite a good social security uh, system. Um, yet sadly, uh, that has been you know steadily steadily eroded um, away by this by this idea that um, you know there are a deserving poor perhaps, but also an undeserving poor that we shouldn't fit the bill for. I think fundamentally the the link back to um, I don't. I'm not going to segue back into refugees. <laughs> That's way, but... We can have a free form conversation because it... the issues do overlap in in in, in ways. Well, and particularly in how it changes, because I think fundamentally, it's this. It's, it's not about the specifics. It's about the psychology of it. And fundamentally, we're taught through the conservative press, in particular, that the way that we feel that we deserve the privileges we've got, because obviously we all know that we've got it better than refugees who are fleeing war-torn countries. And obviously we know we've got it better than people who are staggering through on the poverty line. And the way that we justify it to ourselves is feeling that we are better, that we deserve it. Like that, And, and if we deserve it, hmm. then the corollary is they must not deserve it, yeah. which, is, which is why that there is a, um enthusiastic audience for the stories that are regularly demeaning refugees, the unemployed, demeaning the, the, the groups that we're supposed to not care what happens to on really superficial grounds. And uh, this is this is really every time, and I th- really think we need to redefine how class war is used in this country because at the moment it's used by the Murdoch press to be like, they want to tax people yeah, who yeah. are getting huge amounts of money on their, uh, getting franking credit refunds when they don't pay any tax on their huge dividends, on their huge property portfolios it's when they don't is, pay rent. Which is so insulting when, you know, I'm a social security recipient myself and advocate for and talk to a bunch of them when it's so insulting when you see conservative papers rally around, you know, that... Um, you know they're victims of of Bill Shorten's class warfare. When this group of people, as social security recipients, are just victims and just cop, 
just relentless pieces of class warfare like throughout their lives whether it's like getting whether it's like you know having having getting bashed as doll bludgers in the press or just the day-to-day reality of what they have to go through uh to air quote justify their their uh receipt of social security it's just a constant constant class assault but yeah you're right we, we don't talk about it um not nearly enough in those terms well and you can really see it like the I, so jeremy was on uh the Punta Vista podcast the other week and they were talking uh, there was a um, article from someone in the courier mail uh basically blasting these people that she'd met at, the, at a checkout um for, you know, the way they spoke, the language they used, their, their haircuts. Young, their... Apparently young people were swearing in a supermarket and talking about how much they hated work. So, so this, she concluded this... that they must all be doll bludgers and that, and that therefore, they des- therefore, from that, therefore we, de- we des- people, everybody who's unemployed deserves us to treat them badly because she found some people that she had a snobbish feeling about. Like she might as well have said these people lacked class because that's really what she was going to for right. without actually saying the word class. And that's really what the class war thing is. You saw the um, in the refugee thing. You saw the um, that vicious racist cartoon by Warren in the Daily Telegraph mm. the other day of a, of a, a bearded um, scarf wearing um, Arab man chasing a, a white nurse around. And, that was disgusting. And it's all about picking the elements of the people that we're being told to hate, where it's the poor refugees, that they know that they're um, white. Middle class audience whose view of the world is you know based on you know watching white white people on TV, um, and all of the prejudices that they have about it, people being unwashed, having mm-hmm. haircuts they don't like, having tattoos or um, or having different religions. Like it's all all of these prejudices they just whip in there and be like these people are lesser than you because they have all of these things, therefore they're bad people. Therefore you should hate them that they're getting and they're getting stuff from you therefore you should hate them and therefore you should support us whenever we do anything that makes them sad that hurts them you should be angry about them and you should therefore support anything we do to punch back so the test doesn't become will this thing um like a lot of what we do to refugees costs vastly more than just letting them in and putting them on new start even if new start was mm. raised to a, a livable level even, that would cost vastly less than the security state of locking them up on a, a remote islands so if you're worried about why are my taxes going to support these refugees that I don't like? Like, it makes no sense that your taxes are spending a lot more to persecute them. Yeah, there's but- no there's no economically rational argument for it, and and even that Courier Mail, uh, recent Courier Mail article that bashed you know these so called um, doll bludgers was couched as uh, sort of buried in the article was this idea that you know as soon as Labor uh, come into power, there's going to be more of these people in in, in supermarkets bludging, which you know is general conservative strategy and i think very similar to what they're trying to do to make labor look weak on on refugees doll bludgers etc so if you get but, people working really hard for really low wages we've got shit wage growth because of the conservatives yeah then it doesn't take much for them to be resentful because they're working they're working full time mm-hmm. they're not getting ahead they're going backwards because the housing costs are going up and there's a lot a lot of resentment there now they could be directing that upwards to the people who are making off like bandits but it's, there's a fertile ground there. If you can teach them to hate a group of people that are lesser than them, because people always like to believe there's somebody you know not as nice as they are, and then teach them to be angry about it, then they'll support spending a fortune to hurt. And their test in their heads, they won't articulate it, but their test in their head will be um, this policy about Indigenous people uh, that I've been taught to, uh, to hate, or this policy... Mm. Would, would Pauline Hanson like it? Would the person who hates them the most like it? Cool, then I'm on board with it. Would the person who hates the poor the most hates these people on new start like who who really hates them do they like this idea cool whatever it is it's like it's not about any kind of rational improving things or you know making a better balance or anything it is 100 percent in their heads about 
this is a bad person. I've told me to hate them, and I want to hurt them. I want to hurt them, and I will support the policies that hurt yeah, them. So and that's how you get all of the mutual obligation stuff. That's how you get all the stuff that's basically busy work and punishing them and stupid. Like so, let, so now I'm going to shut up. And let, <laughs> but that's Jeremy tell But that's 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 and that's something that uh, as advocates to you know hopefully try and change uh, the national discourse and ideology around this stuff. There's a you know which I don't subscribe to, but there's this idea. Uh, in I guess sort of like the liberal pundit sphere or in your sort of center left um, circles that if we just create a very factual right if we just create a very reasoned argument uh, to raise new start to get rid of work for the doll we can prove scientifically that these programs don't work which is kind of what you know as you know a social security sector like the council of social services kind of try to do uh to lobby and change politicians minds but it's sort of getting in my mind to the point where this stuff doesn't work uh changing changing people's minds or you need to uh, do that as well in, like you need you, to have you, the rational base you do, you do need to have that rational base but i think we've learnt um over the last you know couple of years when we've proven beyond doubt that you know new start can't be can't be lived on and it's 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 leading to more homelessness and we have all these you know i you know have all these ideas um and facts ironed out that sort of prove without a doubt that you know the government needs to uh, do more to build a more dignified secure social security net um it doesn't it doesn't really cut through entirely uh, because uh, you know their main aversion to it is is ideological rather than you know rather than purely rational. Well, and that they've taught the voters that they're appealing to to view it on a personal, irrational but um, very deep human level of, of resentment, revulsion, hatred, and hmm. all the rest of it. When... And the only way to counter that. Okay, I don't. I think that I think fundamentally what we and let's talk about some of the specifics of what they're doing. But I think fundamentally what we need to do when we're trying to change this is we need to change the narrative. We need to call them out when they're doing snobby class war shit like that mm-hmm. in a way that appeals to working people when they're going, oh yeah, hang on, that middle class person who's writing in the Courier Mail telling you that this person's unwashed and and so forth. They're mocking you. To, they don't think any better of you, working class person. Mm. Um, this is this is the real class war, and we need and that that sort of thing, but. How we get that out there when the, the the media organs in this country are the Murdoch press vastly, um, and they've they've got a clear um, incentive to keep whipping this shit up. Yep. Both in the terms of how their their owners profit from it, and also in terms of it sells. Um, the ABC is completely cowed. They they've been you know they they they're groveling in a corner because they don't want the coalition to hit them anymore. And Fairfax is sort of gradually is getting more getting. Well, Fairfax is dead. More... Dead and 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 it's, and it's been getting more you know in in my view more sort of conservative as as time goes on. Anyway, but well, it's dead. Channel Nine is running into the ground. Anyway, but... well, we have the Guardian, yes. but they but they're not interested in changing punters' minds. They're interested in having a an intellectual discussion about what's going on, perhaps, but they're not, yeah. and, and reporting it, but they're really pre- preaching to the converted. So how we get, and obviously the, the TV commercial media are, are as bad as the Murdoch press, and yet Fairfax is now owned by Nine, um, chaired by Peter Costello. So mm-hmm. it's like, um, so yeah, how we get this message out, other than just sort of the way we talk with people around us, I don't mm. know. I haven't got the solution to that, but I do think that fundamentally, in addition to doing the work of... Showing why all of these policies are counterproductive, and they hurt all of us, um, except for exploitative employers. They, to be fair, 
Somebody <laughs> has to be out there to advocate for exploitative employers, and mm-hmm. they do very nicely out of it. But apart from them, everyone else is badly served by all this shit. So let's talk about the, the, the stuff it's doing. So we've got um, parents next. We've got the cashless card. So what, 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 what are the specifics of what the government has recently been doing to really punch the poor on behalf of angry News Corp cobblers? Um, yes, yeah, so uh, the last year has really seen uh, you know, the tightening um, of social security system and the demands therein, the likes of which we've never really seen in this country before. So in July, the government passes its welfare reform uh, bill, which uh, for the first time uh, creates something called a targeted compliance framework, uh, which is a bunch of a bunch of jargon, which basically uh, gave uh, job agents for the first time uh, powers to punish and dock job seekers of their social security um, yeah. without without any like government um oversight and that's where you get this demerit system is is the targeting compliance frameworks like main sort of tool or, or weapon where uh it's this little it's this little screen you have when you log into log into uh, your job active um and sort of monitors uh, demerits and becomes a you know basically becomes more and more of a red circle the the more naughty uh, you are as a how as a job seeker how naughty so obviously you know if I drive through a red light I I get a fine um, presumably uh, this will be something much more serious than that and uh, the punishment <laughs> won't be I don't know cutting somebody off and starving them to death well it's so you get you get these demerit points automatically uh, leveled at you so there's no way to uh, try and stop it <laughs> before it comes or try and appeal any decision it's automatically generated um, it can be if you uh, miss one of your appointments with an agency if you miss a day at your work for the dull okay, side if okay, you forget to report okay but okay I was very sick you've got a medical view I was unwell that day you can send that back to them and then they take it off uh, they can't do that unless you've racked up about five of these things so um, if if the job agent has made an error which they often do um, like I got a I got a call from somebody whose job agent wanted them to go to uh, two different like job interviews on like other parts of the town and they just couldn't uh, physically get to both. But that's, so they that's got Stolbledges a, for you. They refuse to physically they refuse separate, to separate like, themselves like, and be in. But like, like that film about the, the, the Melbourne film about the, in the eighties about the tram where it sort of went into two halves. <laughs> yeah. Is that Malcolm? Yes. Um, yeah, well, 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 okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> I remember book. Malcolm. Um, but yeah, it's. I don't like, remember anything about it. Basic, you know, basically there. Are, there've always been these sort of flaws and problems in the system that punish job seekers unfairly, but Centrelink did have some power to overturn a bunch of them, and they did overturn about fifty percent of them because they were bogus or they were going to cause harm. Now, sort of all the bugs in the system and all the mistakes job agents are making um, literally just punish uh, job seekers directly because of this so-called targeted compliance framework, which is all about trying to. The rhetoric at the time was sort of your usual stuff was all about trying to curb welfare dependency, uh, whatever that means. It was all to, about. To be, fair, to be fair, being starved to death does cure cure, cure you. That's right. You you stop being dependent on them once you've died. Yeah, well, and they were very clear that the welfare reform bill, um, they modelled out that they expected it would drop 80,000 Australians off of uh, job active completely and they and they ran the numbers in the bill about how much money they'd be able to claw back so where do they th- what do they think those the people budget. are doing 
they because they're not the jobs aren't there like they they well, know they, they tell us like that's the that's the sort of other side of the coin it's they you know they, they're not tracking I've looked at this data they're not tracking where these people end no, up they, they but... people, it's the same when they cure refugees when they yeah. bully them into staying overseas they don't track what happens to them like I know when they did go back where you came from and they sent mm. I think it was Peter Reith they sent a couple of people from the from that era over to one of the countries I think it was Afghanistan where they had been fleeing from and they followed up on some of the people he'd sent back they were dead they, yeah it's like the government doesn't do that generally. They're like they deport people off to these countries, even the, the ones who take their deals and go back and are bullied into going back home again. They don't care what happens to them. So yeah, exactly. The people yeah, they cut off send, like they don't care if and they people, die. And, pe- and I know people are, you know, people are ending up homeless. I've met them, you know, sadly, um, you know, people have died or like taken their lives because of these decisions. Um, but uh, this is the other side of the coin: is where are these people going? Every monthly jobs presser, every time the you know, APS, ABS employment data comes out, you'll see Scott Morrison, you'll see Frydenberg sort of beating their chest about their elite economic management, about how many supposed jobs yep. the coalition's creating, which is which that? is all bogus data. So what, they what get away with it. They basically, like one of their big lines uh, into last year was that, you know, the coalition since Abbott have, have created a million jobs, right? And they say that and journalists reproduce it uncritically because you get a media you get a media release from the government but that's journalism you take what the government told you and repeat that's, it yeah well that's journalism well, well, well exactly um but they don't tell you that um a lot of that job creation boils down to simple population growth in our economy they don't tell you that full-time employment's actually going down so the population's um, and going this, up and this, full-time's going down and this explosion of all this real explosion of job creation is is is, is, is there's a lot of like part-time uh, insecure work so that's you know people in work but also on Centrelink at the yeah. same time so you have to sort of battle both things but really that that sort of chest beating about how good their jobs record is lets them get away with you know a bunch of these attacks on social security like lets them get away with this whole welfare dependency angle right because if you're painting this picture of the economy being rosy and you, you can barely must... leave the house without being offered a yeah. job like why the hell would you know uh, 650,000 people even need to be on social security in the first place we should cut it we should definitely yeah. not raise new stuff they, they must be undeserving mm. also check out on a current affair tonight we'll, we'll find some yeah, it's, out at the beach it's, and say they have their dog lodges any idea that any understanding and and this is you know a problem with um, our society you know, going back to even even Keating and Hawke was was no good on this stuff, and what the actual causes of unemployment are, you know, since I guess like the neoliberal turn, you know, individual behaviour or individual action, lack of individual will has been seen as the cause of unemployment, but in reality, um, you know, a casualizing economy, um, you know, a real sort of uh, structural turn where there's far more job seekers in a pool than there are actual jobs available. So any sense they really, because they have to, to sort of sell, you know, to be able to treat unemployed people <laughs> that badly, you sort of have to um, pretend we live in a society that can offer, you yeah. know, decent jobs and a living to everybody um, the job who snobs, needs it. Jeremy, they must be job snobs. Yeah, well, that was, I think, yeah, that was, uh, that was again, another Tony Abbott-ism. And Tony's really, you know, since... He was employment minister, I guess, in the in the late nineties. Uh, he's put this concept of. It's funny. There's a there's a speech uh, he delivered where he talks about, and I talked about this on Buntra a little bit, but he talks about um, work for the dole, like forcing uh, welfare recipients into into labour to justify their benefits. He talks about which it. Is, it which he talks, is, can we object to that fundamentally? Because that's mad. Like you have a safety net, it, and it shouldn't matter. 
it's if you're in jail, they can't just go. Well, you're naughty, so we'll just starve you to death. Like they're supposed to be the, this a... net, the safety net. It shouldn't be mutual obligation is about we can cut holes in the net. Like it's a feral idea. Yeah. It's an idea that some people deserve to starve to death. Like if somebody doesn't do your mutual obligation, what you're effectively saying is die. Mm. That isn't a punishment that we should be imposing. Somebody could want to be the laziest person in the world. They're not going to... If you're, if New South was at subsistence level, so not poverty, but it was subsistence, and there's not much incentive to do that. Like, if somebody's genuinely not going to do anything, fine, there's plenty of people who want the limited jobs and jobs are, number of jobs and number yep. of work hours required are reducing because of automation and all those other things. Um, they're reducing because, you know, the liberals screwed up the NBN, so stop that growth. Um, well, and we, you know, and since 1975, we've stopped any kind of commitment to a full employment policy, which wouldn't see this, you know, ballooning pool of, of, of unemployed workers. So somebody well. out there wants to just live, do nothing and subsist and just survive pretty uncomfortably, but survive. They're, they're benefactors. They're helping the other people who want to work and, and, and do better than that right. and live a comfortable life. Let, that's a person who's not who's who's not a problem. They're, they're sitting there. They're not they're not agitating. They're not angry. They're they're happy with their lot. If somebody's genuinely choosing that, why on earth do we have to scream and like keep hitting them? Get <laughs> up! Get and, up! Get up! And that's like always this sort of almost like people treat it as this like moral dilemma they throw at me. And when you know, because I'm very public as an advocate for unconditional social security, yeah. like we used to have for every for every Australian citizen as a fundamental what we right, call the safety net. But, but yeah. But you know, if, you know, someone will invariably come back to me. But like, what about those people who just game the system, who bludge, who don't want to work, and sort of, I sort of have to look at them and, and sure, let's let's, let's, let's is deal... that what you'd do for your entire life? You'd live on just nothing but subsistence. Well, like, well there does is anybody that, really want to do that? We need to also uh, look at this like bogeyman for what it is, which is uh, even from the government's own data, the number of people who. Uh, enter the system deliberately trying to either commit social security fraud or um, you know neg you know neg out on their obligations is like a f- fraction of you know it's like a fraction of like 0.1% like you're talking about you know yes maybe a tiny percentage of people who aren't doing you know what you know society deems as valuable or whatever but you're using such a tiny fraction of people, even if they exist in in your weird fever imagination, mm. to rain down hell on what six hundred and fifty thousand, seven hundred thousand oh. people that are currently in the system. It's absolutely like revolting. Hence the <laughs> hence what's happening with the cashless card, where they use the just they justify it with well, that's... Um, here's a couple of people who have a drug problem. Therefore, we'll do it to everybody in that community. And if a couple of people who had the drug problem were like, and... oh, cool, well, I, you know, it did it did bring me back into line. That will will ignore the fact that everybody else that we've done it to is yeah, like that's... this really made my life substantially harder and 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 like you know communities and you know especially like indigenous communities and like saduna and kananara where the cdc cashless debit card was um first introduced um you know especially especially like a you know it's, it's a racist interventionist policy as well but it really does feed into um this kind of ideological shift that we've been talking about that uh poverty in these communities isn't um, a social or a, or a structural structural problem that's sort of keeping them, um, you know, from being able to live um, a comfortable life. It's uh, because you know dozens or so people, or it's because these individuals have made uh, individual bad decisions to take drugs, you know, develop alcoholism. They've basically like chosen <laughs> to live in poverty. So instead of creating a real social security net, we will 
force them onto a card that restricts 80% of their income uh, because, you know, the, the, the problem here is, like, you know, poor people's, like, individual spending habits and not, like, uh, the lack of jobs, the lack of drug and alcohol rehabilitation. They're so the, the resentful. If, if a poor person has... Like you see the story, the, the, the um, commercial media run stories all the time, and like I found a poor person who's you know saved their pennies together to do something nice, and they're so resentful that my taxes paid mm. for that poor. The poor person, if somebody is in poverty, um, it's hard enough, but you know the important thing is I don't want to. Fight, I never want to hear that they've done well, that they're happy. They must not be happy. They're yeah. bad people. I've been taught that they're bad people. They must suffer one hundred percent of the time. It's like the pictures of the refugees on Nauru where they got some of them. Um, down by the beach, and they did a selfie of them smiling, and they're like, mm. "See, look, it no. can't be terrible up there. They're smiling, like no, they're uh, living it up. It's Club Med over there. They they're unless, not miserable 100 percent of the that's time. Right. If you can find a photograph of somebody <laughs> smiling ever, then they, then then their great life must be a paradise. There's a there's a disgusting. It came out a few weeks ago. There's a really disgusting piece in the Daily Mail. I'm not sure if you saw it, uh, where one of their scare quotes journalists um, basically there's a there's some sort of hashtag on Instagram that's like doll life or Centrelink life or something like that where oh, where like social security recipients you know whose lives are just shit are just kind of like kind of like making like ironic uh, you know, making sort of like ironic jokes and trying to like cheer themselves up yeah. so like you know they'll be like um, you know they'll you know they'll posting you know f- you know photos of like they might have been at a cafe and you know treating myself to you know my my, my Centrelink or you know there were a bunch of women um, who got their nails done and sort of like the the, the, the the caption was like I was on the phone to like you know Centrelink for like three hours this morning I'm, I, f- I feel horrible decided to get my nails done hashtag blah 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 and then some journal like collated all these pictures um, put them in an article in the Daily Mail this year it was like you know look at these like you know lifestyles of the of the rich and <sighs> famous on Centrelink that it's kind of so thing it's so fucking transparent mm. like it is a, it is there's no brain required like it is this is dumb propaganda it is so it is such a human thing when you are suffering to try to you know either blackly joke about it like and make it seem better than it is yeah. or like make pretend that something okay do any of these people I god I hate the world touring this but um seriously would, would any of these people look at a picture because there are pictures of of um People in World War Two in concentration camps in the most dire situation that humans have been in. Mm. I mean, one of the most. I mean, I'm not going to do a water battery battle, which is the worst. <laughs> Leave that to the Australian. Yeah. Where, 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 where atrocities rank in comparison? Oh my God. Um, but there are photographs of people in those camps, you know, smiling and um, you know, they're ma- human beings. Laugh. No matter what, you yeah. know, this is this is what human. <laughs> so human like, would these do. people be like writing for whatever the Nazi war pa- uh, propaganda papers were and be like, "See, we're not really." I mean, they wouldn't because the whole point was we want to persecute. They they, they had also sold to people that these are bad people who yeah, deserve yeah. everything. You should hate them. So it's the same thing. But can you imagine them going around and be like? See, actually, we're treating them too well. Look, here's, mm. a, here's a picture of a Jewish concentration camp inmate smiling. Therefore, everything... Or if they didn't run it then, if they ran it at the uh, war crimes trials afterwards, if they're like, no, no, we weren't really that bad to them. Look, here's a photograph of them smiling. Mm. Yeah. Like, it's obvious what the game is and how dumb and misleading it is. And they keep selling it. But I think uh, on a on a slightly like optimistic note, I remember when I first started sort of uh, being active in sort of the social security welfare rights space uh, about three or four years ago, the dull bludging sort of these kind of narratives were a lot more frequent over a lot of over like a broader range of publications. Okay. But I feel like uh, you know we do have a grassroots you know building welfare rights movement. We have had 
um, bigger groups, you know, like ACOS now and the Business Council of Australia have, and John Howard's come out and said that New Jeez. Start's too low. So ah. the real, you know, is it because that's it still, finally hit a bottom. That, there was a yeah, bottom. Like it bottomed out. And we it was finally, like... we finally, after twenty five years of New Start remaining the same, we finally hit a bottom. Where you know, yes, those stories do pop up, but. It's a bit too uh, hard to sell it as a comfortable lifestyle when it's forty dollars a day. Yeah, yeah, and just and you know the with the with the whole sort of raise the rate campaign um, last year, which got which got good coverage and and got a lot of sort of unemployed workers in in the media sort of talking about um, you know what it's like for them to live on you know you know thirty eight for thirty nine dollars dollars a day. There's far less of it's still a product which definitely sells, um, but it's getting harder and harder. Uh, to sell as 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 time sort of goes on, which you know we have to take our victories <laughs> where we can. But because well, you're pushing uphill, we... you are pushing yeah. for the people without power, um, who are though who should have power because there's more of them. Like they have, mm. they outnumber the rich. Yeah. Um. You know, but the rich own all of the organs that we hear from. Mm. So that's I don't know how you fix that. Uh, well, we t- we you know. Uh... I guess what we've tried to do, so I'm speaking we as the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, we kind of realised that, uh, and we're, we're young but we're, we're growing, is that we need to organise ourselves and, and start, a, you know, start a movement where we can uh, advocate and speak as like a public body, mm. uh, which we haven't had in Australia for, for, for a long time. So There's some, some hope on that. So obviously they're trying to expand the cashless card and they're running it on the, look, our trials were successful, even though uh, anybody wants to go back to episode 49 last February, a year ago, where, where they, that report was coming down and revealing mm. that actually it was really screwing people, yep. um, and that, that where the government the government is massively cherry picking the very tiny bits that were positive for them in that report, and they're cherry picking they, and Labor does this as well. They make this sort of gambit that to try and um, buzz us off that as long as it has quote unquote community support, we'll keep extending yeah. the trial. But they get to pick. <laughs> which member of the community? Um, so oh, I thought they been... meant the readers of the Daily Telegraph. Yeah, well, um, you know, probably probably that too. But they get to pick, like, you know, which leader sort of you know will be the most friendly to them, and and they'll be able to you know greenlit uh, oh, yeah, the no. program. But you know... Aboriginal people were perfectly fine with Carrie Anne Kennelly because they found Jacinta Price, Warren Mundine, mm. and whoever their other friend is. It's like, see, Indigenous Ex- Indigenous exactly. leaders agree with her. No, a bunch of far right crank versions. Oh my god, what was that? Um, Excellent callback from um, Chris Bowen this morning about uh, the coalition are confused as to what they're doing about the superannuation bill in the Senate. He's like, um, it quotes, quotes one of the senators and quotes one of the, the MPs clearly contradicting each other. And he's like, you know, when when the right hand doesn't know what the far right hand is doing. <laughs> that's, that's very good. Um, he, needs to, he needs to give some of those lines to Bill. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, the, anyway, so, uh, you know, uh, Rachel, Rachel Seward's been really good on the, on the cashless debit card. And I think she was banging on either, I think this morning in, in parliament that, you know, Green's, strong Green's position. So um, hang on, in terms of where, where, where listeners to this are, I'm, I'm suspecting that most people who are listening to this are likely to vote Greens and preference Labour above the Libs, yeah. mainly because of stuff like not persecuting refugees, but also fundamentally not starving the poor, which mm. Labour still supports way too much of. Are the Greens pretty much good on all of it, or are there some, there's some stuff that they, we need to, they need to do better on? I think they, they, they do need to do uh, better. They, you know, they're, they're advocating for an immediate increase in New Start, but they are only taking the $75 uh, increase, which would still leave uh, you know, job seekers about 150 uh, bucks per line. fortnight below the poverty line. So we th- we think 
you know, we, you know, we, and we're going to, you know, put some pressure on the Greens, I think, um, this year to really rec- reclaim this idea uh, of, a, of, a, of a social security net to really start advocating for if, if the government's not going to put energies into job creation and trying to employ, you know, this group of vulnerable Australians, they don't deserve to live in poverty. Uh, let's make that like really clear, like they only exist because of a government failure of policy yeah. to get them employed. So um, right. the Greens, the Greens are obviously like you know much you know much uh, much stronger and better um, than Labor on this. But I'd really um, like and I'd like Greens voters as well to put you know more pressure on them to really um, you know I know they're sort of talking you know they're, they're talking about UBIs and and things like that, but to really uh, put pressure on them to. Um, really come out and you know make this declaration this this you know ambit claim you know that that we try at the AEW are trying to make that um, every Australian deserves the right to um, you know deserves the right not to live in poverty deserves yeah. the right to a secure life and deserves the right to uh, a decent job which if the private market can't provide and it hasn't been able to uh, it's the responsibility of of government and our politicians to come in and start advocating for that so. Um, Rather that's, than that's, undercutting actual yeah. workers with, you know, shittier wages, having, getting people coming in and having to do it for free. And this free, is something we never... undercuts workers. Like, this idea, this, this idea of playing workers this, off against each other. This is what frustrates me so much about, you know, working in sort of the social security space. What frustrates me, there's many things that frustrate me about labour, but even sort of the trade union movement proper, uh, whereby... Uh, you know, the coming out and change the rules campaign and all that stuff is great. And yes, we've got to cut down on casualization and uh, Australia needs a pay rise, um, but failing to account for um, unemployed workers and this, this pool of people who, uh, if, you know, they exist and we silence them and we don't you know, help organize them and we don't look out for them um, are really dragging down you know, dragging down wages, dragging yeah. down working conditions. You as, can exploit as, people. As we, you... as we said before. So, yeah. you know, let's move on to, I guess, you know, we talked about the Greens, move on to Labour and, you know, obviously <laughs> you can't be a anti-poverty social security advocate without being incredibly angry and disappointed with what they're, at national conference and well, the start of this year, what they kept New Start low throughout their terms in government. They kept like, New Start low. Been... Like, um, I remember... So, you know, the first vote I ever had uh, was for Rudd in, in t- 2007. Okay. I remember, How did you remember Malcolm? And I remember, um, I remember uh, you know, Rudd flagged that, you know, they'd abolish work for the doll and, and do all this, you know, do all this stuff. And I was really excited and Yahoo <laughs> that they were going to do that. But of course, they kept the program. Yeah. Um, they reformed it a little bit. So it's really eerily uh, for me in this sort of social security space what they're promising to do and what they're presumably going to do when they get in power is exactly the same yeah seemingly as what they did trust us in 2007 so they're gonna vote, they, just vote for us like they're gonna take you know some of the teeth out of um you know some of the nasties away from the social security system but they're gonna keep you know the concept of mutual obligation yeah, in there they, they're gonna they keep... never take the government or the libs on on the core ideas mm. that they've managed to sell, the idea of mutual obligation, which is a, basically that that is an idea of we're cutting a giant hole in the safety net. You only get the safety. You only get to live if you jump through some hoop that we're putting in place. Yeah, now, that's is, broken. And the same mean. with the refugees. They do the same thing with the idea that it's it is a good idea to drag refugees away. That we shouldn't mm. have refugees here. Like that our borders are more important. Like they're buying these lines and then they try and sort of tinker around the top and they can't. Yeah. There's no logical basis for their the tinkering of we do that. We believe their shit, just not quite as harsh. 
it's it's like a it's it's become like a you know integral sort of component of of labor's social policy like it's you know uh, the idea of reciprocal obligation as it was called was you know came out of a keating government right and you know you sort of see all these sort of labor people sort of you know saying that we need a return <laughs> labor needs a return to keating which you know boggles my mind yeah. as a sort of anti-poverty advocate but yeah so for like a you know an extremely long period of time they've been uh, wedded wedded to this idea that um, individual behavior um, is is a serious you know cause of unemployment which we know isn't uh, thereby uh, you know this idea that um, you know social security recipients um, can't passively uh, receive an income must you know must undergo must undergo training must undergo activities um, because obviously um, you know that's you know that's what's holding them back from <laughs> being able to to have a secure life when when in reality it's you know failure of of you know both labor and, and liberal policy to uh, create a society that's uh, free of unemployment and, and poverty and, and all these structural issues well they want the, the employer class wants people to be the whole the job something that we referred to is like the idea of that is there's a shit job picking something remotely where you're nowhere near mm. uh, where they're paying a terrible wage but if you're really desperate enough you'd take it and it's like and you know, you'll that, be and you'll be so desperate to take that because who the hell wants to be on on social security when it's <laughs> you know I've done the yeah. I've done the work for the doll program where I had to work. Uh, you know, fifty hours a fortnight for ten bucks a week. Like, if you have a choice between the crappiest job available in the labor market and going into yeah. social security, you're gonna pick the crappiest job. Which, which of course, in, workers in the labor market. like like um, it's bullshit when they play off refugees against each other. Oh no, um, refugees on our on, on our very small humanitarian program. You know who you should really resent? You should resent the other refugees who arrived here safely uh, because they took a place from you. They took mm. a place. Like, that was a Howard idea to link them two together. There's no rational reason why, if a refugee arrives and seeks asylum, why we should be taking a place from somebody else. Like, mm. the, the idea that that's a zero-sum game. The queue-jumping idea is based on, I'm going to punish this refugee if this refugee does something that I don't like. I'm playing the refugees off against each other. Same with, the, with the, what, well, obviously, the commercial media does with unemployed and workers. They play mm. them off against each other. When your interests are actually aligned, it be- workers do better if the, if the social security net is good. If, we, if New Start is decent... Then employers have to pay you properly to encourage you to work. Yeah, they have to pay you a decent wage. Um, they have to pay you a decent wage because otherwise you go go fuck yourself. I'll uh, I'll sit back and retrain or do something else rather than being exploited mm. by you. Employers can only exploit you if you're desperate. And so workers are workers should be fighting for new start to be better. It's mm. even though you don't personally receive it, you benefit from that not that threat not being there and and that pool of desperate people not being there that's a like playing yeah off- and that's and that's something we've tried to you know we've tried to convince sort of labor unions and sort of workers workers rights movements as well because you know there's all these sort of ideas around um how to finally get you get a pay rise when it's stagnated for all these years and we really try to <laughs> we really try to sell them on the idea i guess that hey if you sort of join this you know join this struggle or, or bring us into your struggle and so, and we all start demanding that all citizens all workers whether employed or unemployed have like a basic floor income yeah. floor uh hopefully and you start to um, the poverty line but even like a 75 dollar increase that the greens want would would help um that you know this would be the thing to put uh you know the best thing we could do uh to put pressure on the employer class to um, you know, to really reform. But, you know, sadly, sadly, there's, as I was sort of saying before, 
um, you know, sort of social security issues have been relegated to sort of like the quote unquote welfare sector. So, Workers' issues are, you know, sort of in the domain of like the trade union sector, and these like camps aren't talking to each other, which is what the unemployed workers' unions trying to do is trying to bridge this gap that exists now between like your ACOSs and your Brotherhoods of Saint Lawrence. So do you with, like part the of trade... the AC... Do you join the trade union? Like, the... does that work? Because so you're, so you're we're union, kind of not we're... a trade. You're kind no, of no, like yeah, we're we're, we're, we're sort work? of. Yeah, we're in between. Uh, where so do they we... take you in? Could you form... Oh, sorry, Feral, we'd be wondering about wanting to be part of the union movement that's associated with Labour, but I suppose not all the unions are associated with Labour. Like, um, not all the of ECU them. The ECU isn't now. They're more associated with the Greens, I think, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. and we're, we're, we're mostly... Uh, we're mostly sort of close and supported by the National Union of, of Workers, which is you know, quite a good um, radical union. They do a lot of good stuff around sort of migrant migrant workers, so for example, who are being... Basically, you know, if you go to our website, employedworkersunion.com, uh, we sort of have two tiers of membership. You kind of have to be either unemployed or underemployed to sort of get our first tier yeah. um, of membership, and we don't charge uh, people fees because obviously they're unemployed. Point, but if yeah. you want to be like a solidarity member, we do ask that, you know, you can maybe chip us in like either like a one-off donation or, or, or a few bucks and you go on our mailing list and you sort of hear about our actions. And that's tr- how we're sort of trying to um, trying to recruit um, new members because we're making this sort of case um, to unions who do appreciate the work we do. We're not like an official part of, I guess, you know, the ACTU's umbrella, but we, we definitely get some support from them and work with them. But we're trying to make this case to unions that uh, in a radically casualizing labor market like ours where people are you know jumping in and out of work uh, there's a lot of job insecurity that if you put you know those members you know because those those members who become unemployed there's really there's not that much um, you know the trade union movement's fighting for you Um, so we're trying to sort of tell unions that hey um, you can refer them to our services we can sort of so you have services as well yeah yeah like we have a we have a special like advocacy advocacy line, which so sort of our bread and butter. Dealing which, with link stuff, which yeah, you know, like if you get one of these like de- if you get one of these like demerit points, or if you get punished, you can call us up and we can sort of um, either you know help talk you through it or contact the job agency and try and get things resolved. It's an advocacy service that um, tries to explain <laughs> a very complicated social security system to deliberately especially so. deliberately complicated to new people who join it so they understand what their rights are say their right not to do work for the doll that kind of stuff so we have this like advocacy team um basically you know fighting to get people back on benefits to fight appeals so that's sort of one part of what we do we also sort of have a campaigns wing as well which is i'm which yeah. i'm more of part of which is um you know basically uh, you know, I do a lot of mobilizing around trying to get work for the doll abolished and, and put pressure on, on politicians to do that. Because uh, that's really get... clear. It's an insane idea. Yes. You should, it shouldn't be the idea that you can starve to death if you don't do one. And so. Labour, so, you know, Labour, they've committed to halting the expansion of the cashless debit card. They've committed to redesigning work for the doll, which we don't really know With what that means. Fewer people they being haven't... injured? We hope so. Uh, hopefully... Uh, hopefully that will mean taking away the mandatory element. Um, so, you know, people would really? be able to... They'd actually do it? Because that, that would be... If they were going to do that, they, that, that would be... A well, thing. who Daily knows Telegraph, what they're going to do? They well, so they're these, not going to say it because the Daily gonna... Telegraph would be screaming. Yeah. They don't, these doll bludgers will be able to sit back and roll a fat cigarette, whatever the... You know, that address the yeah, red something. Yeah, yeah. Roll um, a fat... Yeah. Yeah, I can't see Labour having... Unless Labour turns around and says, no, 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 no. You know what? That stuff we pandered to... It's bullshit. No. We believe in a safety net. Mm. And the net doesn't have holes. 
if you have holes in it, it's on a net. Hmm. Um, workers do better if there's a decent... And they need to argue it to workers. They need to argue the case to workers and say, look, workers, you're better off. If the, if there is a decent safety net, it protects you as well as every other member of the community. The only look, we are we're not speaking for everybody. We know that there are people that we will upset, hmm. exploitative employers. But apart from the exploitative <laughs> employers, genuine employers and, who and want like workers out there being able to spend money in the economy, creating growth, like ordinary people, rather than having it being just sort of sitting up there oh. and being shoved into these giant you know investment funds um, that don't invest, they just sit there. But anyway, and crew cash, yeah. Um, all right. I, I'm, I, I'm lunging off on a tangent and we're coming to the end of where we, we, we've got time I know you've got to go and um, we haven't done Parents Next Homeless <laughs> Australians the, getting, what's, what's, oh, the, what's the time so this is this is the war on the poor bit that I've been wanting to address for like three or four episodes Parents Next the bit where one in five parents had payments cut yeah, Homeless should, Australians should. given financial penalties <laughs> um, uh, Centrelink taken to court by Victoria Legal Aid over RoboDebt mm-hmm. uh, forced to cancel 40,000 RoboDebts um, the 1.6 million cut off last year we talked about and then half, half of them being unfair uh, work for the doll injuries. Um, yeah, so we, we didn't... could quickly. Yeah, we could quickly go through. It's worth definitely talking about parents next. And next. what is parents next? <laughs> so and why? Why should we be unbelievably outraged so, by the bullshit? So parents next is essentially a essentially a work for the doll mutual obligation program, but for targeted targeted at single parents, especially single mums. So targeted at uh, you know as a single parent, people who are working like. 50, 60 hours a week, as you'd know, with a with a new child, but how much work that would take. Basically, uh, to receive their yeah, single work. To, to receive their single parenting payment, a list of activities, uh, you know, mums and dads are sort of forced forced to do to justify their receipt of benefits. So that's things like story time. Um, it's you know talking to a lot of hang single on, moms. How do they? What do you mean story time? Because like I read stories to our kids. Like, yeah, it's it's some sort of it's some sort of some sort of mandatory program. Oh, where you, you mean where go you... to like the library or something? And yeah, say, yeah. Like I'm reading story. You're reading stories to your kids, or your kid's not it's well like, or something. But nope, you got to drag your kid out of bed. It's like <laughs> if you want your fortnightly payment, you must go to the library and tick off. You know. But to be fair, that's to help the kids because the kids benefit from having mum's uh, fortnightly payment cut off so mum starves to death and can't <laughs> well, feed exactly. them. I mean, that's so, what kids need. Kids need their parents to starve and be unable to feed them. So Parents Next, Parents Next has been around for a few years, but it was a voluntary sort of buy-in uh, program. So if, you know, mums and, and some mums and dads did want, you know, did want that sort of support and had, you know, had a kid and had no idea what they were doing and there's this yeah. program that they that they opted into, if it's which is fine. If people but will take it up. again, in that sort of welfare reform package I flagged in July, uh, Parents Next becomes a mandatory, you know, program for certain Which certain it wasn't parents, designed for. Which it wasn't designed for and, and they were trialling it in a... Um, in, a, in a mandatory sort of way so a bunch of single mums got caught into this dragnet and I started getting calls uh, from, from some of them including Ella Buckland who's been a real uh, leader um, in this campaign and her change.org petition against France Next is, I think it's gone past 25,000 yeah. look that up, look up Ella Buckland um, and uh, the change.org petition um, and and she's, a, she's a fantastic uh, advocate um, and um, basically, it was that petition that triggered um, this sort of upcoming Senate inquiry uh, into Parents Next, and we at the AEWU, um, you know, the CPSU, a bunch of civil society organisations are making submissions. We're all kind of in the same in this space in the same boat. This is a horrible idea. Just yeah. take the mandatory um, requirement away from it. Like if parents uh, aren't doing completely. a good job with their kids, there are other departments that already look into if kids are needing some other support. Mm. Like this isn't. 
this is a shitty way of doing it because 100% of the kids who are who are in a situation where their their lives are difficult are not benefited from their parents being cut <laughs> off from any income support. Yeah, exactly. And there's and, and it's really exploded just in recent you know in recent times. Like um, you know back when we you know back when the sort of uh, you know the inquiry sent an inquiry into parents next was called in December. Uh, we were kind of worried that you know it was over the Christmas period and you know nothing would really happen and barely any submissions would be made, but it's really like exploded and so many single parents are making submissions and it's, you know, trending on Twitter and there's so many articles being, being uh, written about it because this is what's going to happen when uh, you piss off like single parents like this badly. And then these are not happy stories. These are all stories of like all all the horrible, every one of these is the government having done something really horrible to somebody who is really struggling. And the public are outraged because you can't demonize uh, a single parent, say, you know, really like hardworking, um, hardworking mom in the same way that, you know, maybe you can, you know, attack, you know, those people, those kinds of people you're talking about before, you know, you're sort of, you know, younger, you know, you know, drug addled looking, you know, these are sort of like, you know, people like society values. So it's really sort of exploded. Because um, I, I suspect in, the in... government thought that, yeah, single mums, yeah, we're, we're happy to, they're demonised. We've done mm. a good job of demonising single mums. They'll be, be a sympathetic target for us to go after. And so it's backfired. It's, it's, it's proven of... to, to backfire terribly. So I have, things are looking optimistic for for, for parents next. So um, Labor's promising, oh, cause, just because of the inquiry, so we don't know what any parties are going to do about it, other than obviously the coalition wants to expand it. And, I don't know, obviously the, the Greens have come out very strongly uh, against it. I wage a labor will uh as well um and even there's a chance the coalition might back off because they're just getting so much pressure um from all sorts of groups um you know to really uh you know renege um that program but but that's you know that said um who knows uh, what they'll do and and even these so it's it's a it's a compulsory trial right but in the same way that um you know, the same card. way that cashless welfare or the cashless welfare card was a compulsory trial uh and i think that uh, made advocates in the space a bit complacent that was sort of like all right well it's only a trial we'll just wait it out and see what happens but the trial's been going on for four or five years yeah. in Seduna it's it's you know it's 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 a permanent fact of people's yeah. lives and and the trial and if, and was if we can we get away with it oh yeah. we have gotten away with it cool then we'll make it permanent and if, and if as advocates if, if if Ella doesn't like stand up and we don't really start campaigning for this thing it'll it'll just roll on so it's it's great that uh, with with sort of new programs uh, like Parents Next, we can hopefully nip this one in the bud before it you know becomes you know what Work for the Dole is or yeah. what Cashless Welfare has become. That we can actually snipe this program, um, horrible program before it um, before it takes off. So um, yeah, I really recommend people um, look at the um, look at the change.org petition and also at the AEW website. We have um, Parents Next um, campaigns as well. So did you see the bit where the government was, the story came out the other day, that they were specifically, a lot of these financial penalties that they were applying were to, were to homeless people. They were like, yep. where, where previously there had been a, you're not supposed to do this if it kicks somebody into um, actual homelessness. Under the, the coalition's changes, they now can and yeah. do. Well, this is this goes back to the, this is a problem that's come out of the targeted compliance framework that came out in July, which I was talking about where, you know, Centrelink was stripped of the power to overturn penalties. So what Centrelink used to do, uh, you know, a job agent would decide, hey, this job seeker hasn't jumped through their pointless hoop. Um, I'm going to send them a punishment or a sanction for that. The process was 
that would go to Centrelink to like overview. There'd be some like Centrelink yeah. worker who could look at that person's file and be like, oh, this person is at risk of homelessness, for example. I'm going to yeah. over- overturn that penalty because it'll cause severe uh, hardship on that person. That whole um, you know overview is gone now. So, so these penalties happening. go directly. And the people most likely to accrue penalties obviously are the most disadvantaged among us. These are the people who... Um, have less chance of being able to attend activities, job interviews, because they're battling to uh, feed themselves and their, and their families, or they can't, they don't have any money for transport. Yeah, how do you get to the So job it's interview? a real, it's, and it's, you know, it was something, you know, that we were, um, you know, furious about when this, um, you know, when this, when these reforms came in that, you know, this is going to cause a severe uptake in, in homelessness and, and people struggling and people starving. And it's just going to, you know, this targeted compliance framework is going to target you know, the poorest, yeah. you know, the most and, and kick, you know, and kick those people just trying to hang on to social security um, off completely. And that's exactly what's happening. And it's, you know, been dreadful to, um, to hear the stories. Presumably, that are the other because um, obviously what the government does is it, it kicks people out and then expects charities to pick up the slack, which are mainly religious. So the other religious well, organisations coming back and saying, "Hang you on, know, Scomo did going? try and like uh, cut back on food bank." Yes, <laughs> um, you know, late last year um, that backfired. Yeah, which you know, spectacularly backfired. I think they don't consider it like they they knew that the compliance framework was going to kick eighty thousand people off, but they. There's no, there's really in any of their materials, and of course journalists don't ask them this question they enough directly, like where are these people going? But, you know, in the same breath, you know, they'll talk about their amazing jobs record. And so I think, yeah. I think the, the, the link they're trying to make in like the public's mind and... They must have gone to some of these many, you know, magic jobs. Yeah, and, and journalists like buy in, you know, eat this up that, oh, well, they're, they're breaking jobs growth records, supposedly, which they're not. <laughs> um, you know, obviously these people are going on to bigger and better things. When, we, when we know, you know, from like that latest, latest census data that Australia's seen like a, what was it, a 14% uptick in homelessness compared to 2016. So, so and the organisations has... who are picking up the slack, which is obviously the charities at the, at the bottom, yeah. the religious ones, are they lobbying the government about this and saying, oi, hmm. we're getting huge increases. This is yeah. a problem. Yeah, so, Stop doing this shit. You know, uh, what, yeah, one of the, one of the uh, things AUW, AUW did was trigger a Senate inquiry into Job Active. So that's the whole sort of employment services system that we're talking about. And every, you know, every social security, civil society, welfare group, like under the sun, like wrote a submission <laughs> into that, you know, into that Senate inquiry, basically, you know, shaking their fist and being like, you know, our, we're at breaking point. Um, you know, our services can't you know, meet the demand of all the people, all the people coming in who aren't, you know, who aren't you know, being able to rely on income support anymore. So, um, is, is Labor going to bring back the Centrelink oversight part, which is it seems like removing that, and that that's flawed in its own way. But at least there's some kind of mechanism. Is Labor going to bring that back? We though? don't know what they've the. That you know, the Greens have come out explicitly saying they're going to get rid of demerit points, get rid of the targeted compliance framework. So okay. we sort of know what their what what their stance is, which is great. Uh, Labor are still just talking in nebulous terms that they're gonna, um, you know, they acknowledge that that's <laughs> horrible and it's, nice. and it's a problem, but they're basically, you know, they're 
they haven't flagged anything more specific that they're gonna you know reform some of the system take away some of the horrible penalties we're so, trying to be all things to all people please yeah. don't make us you know be specific about anything exactly it's 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 incredibly frustrating but we're going to be trying trying to put as much pressure on them as we can to um you know take away um at least you know at least you know these recent coalition reforms which are just targeting yeah uh, the most disadvantaged <laughs> Look, we're just gonna go back to the 2013 not the <laughs> yeah well, like you know let's try and drag them back to <laughs> try and drag them back a few years and you know ultimately i'd like all uh compliance-based uh, activities and and punishments taken out <laughs> taken oh. out of of job active completely but um you know it's 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 baby steps um to, so to, to, to get there which is can be frustrating to think about every single part of this has a whole level on it so when they talk about settling fraud they mm. consider settling fraud when two people on new start move in together and form a relationship yeah and they want to cut both of their payments mm. and if they don't tell settling they're in a relationship like Centrelink considers that fraud. Is it fraud or should two people who are on a below subsistence payment mm. not be penalised for being in a relationship? Like, and how like, is that fraud? That's like, the, to, your system is fraud. To, <laughs> outrageous. The funny thing about the funny thing about welfare well, it's not funny, but it kind of is funny. The funny thing about welfare fraud is you have to understand the system like very deeply to be able to find whatever. And there's very very little like wiggle room in the system yeah. as it is. But just the idea that <laughs> crafty. Uh, you know, crafty low-income people are being, you know, able to even get through these like hundreds of yeah. pages of documents. But uh, even even those sorts of what they count as welfare fraud, a lot of these people don't even know that that's you know breaking their you know breaking their contract or that's you know that you know, goes against you know subclause you know eighty six B of the oh, of the also- deed. Like these people are just. You know, they're they're doing what they can to get by. They're falling in love. They're changing addresses. They're changing employment. They're doing like all this stuff and getting busy with the task of being alive. And and that can be, uh, and if they don't sort of uh, maybe update their their address to Centrelink quick enough, if they don't you know declare um, X Y and Z in or a punctual you- way. So really, it's like you know putting all this sort of uh, just because you know uh, these people don't have the maybe don't have the capacity or don't know the system well enough to to do everything by the book of course of course that of course that means that you know they're you know nefarious when really in 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 my experience sort of talking to you know talking to these people which the government doesn't do um enough of um you know most of them are entering enter the system in good faith and most of them want to get out of the system as quick as possible and and and, and get work i would suggest the main areas of of sampling fraud would be people who are doing cash in hand work and not declaring it that would be the the main thing where somebody's deliberately going no no and and that one you can crack down on employers but they don't really work so hard on that one because that's the one that employers quite like being able to dodge Mm. tax and pull that shit like it's and and it's you've got an an exploited class that then can't stand up for themselves because they're already part of they're complicit in stuff but yeah, you wouldn't think that Centrelink. Why, why would you think it was any of Centrelink's business? If, if you're in a day, if you're dating somebody else who's on Newstart, and they're not giving you any money because they don't have any money, mm. why on earth would you think that it's relevant to Centrelink that you're dating that person? Like, it's irrelevant. But, yeah, but it doesn't but make. Mo- it doesn't make. Yeah, it doesn't. Wouldn't make like intuitive sense to uh, to that person because yeah, it doesn't. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and of course, obviously, the other ones they would probably count as, as uh, welfare fraud would be when they've done their stupid robot debt, mm. uh, debts, and they're like, well, you know. Um, when we've averaged out what what you what you earned according to the tax office, or when we've um, gotten confused because your employer you worked for Pizza Hut, but it's actually registered. When the employer the groups that you came in, it was like, you know, Joe Fred 
Smith nominees or something. Like, and we we can't match that. So clearly mm. you've lied when you work the same amount of hours, but the, the organisations are different. Clearly you've lied. Clearly, you know the fact that you work different hours in one fortnight yeah, and on your job thing. But but we've averaged it over a year using using this clunky data matching and the people who didn't object because they just like ah fine pay it help you're gonna kill me because it's a scary thing like i've been i've been given a a a robo debt which i'm like current currently contesting and it's a it's a really scary uh thing that you just want to just want like it like any debt that you just want it to go away and they uh, know quickly as as quickly as possible and and they know people will uh, will pay it because they don't have um it's it's People who have fought successfully fought robo debts. It's taken like years out of their lives. So for like, everyone who like, pays, like, it, they like don't just do get the cash. They also get to say, "See, there was a welfare fraud here." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in and in my case, uh, why I uh, you know accrued this this supposed debt was, as you say, this sort of blunt instrument of a of an algorithm or a tool they were using, whereby I was casually employed but needed to be. Uh, on Newstart to to supplement some of my income because you know one fortnight I'd work plenty enough to be able to afford rent, but the other the other fortnight I might not be put on work as much as I'd like well, to. And so you can't I'd... just go and reapply when you need it because there's this huge bloody waiting period. Yeah, yeah. So I and, I and I talked to my and I remember I talked to my job agent about this. Like you know, look, uh, you know, I've I've got employment. Um, truthfully, like you know, one you know, some fortnights I won't need any income support and I wouldn't get any income support because you know the Centrelink algorithm yeah, will um, if, if you if you declare your earnings they, they won't give you any but there'll be some weeks where I won't be offered that much work so it'd be nice to have a couple of hundred or you know dollars a fortnight or whatever really? of new start coming in anyway so I was you know and you know to the best of my ability because it does get like confusing with like your pay slips and and whatever else to sort of log this when you're sort of working um, so haphazardly, as a lot of people, like you know, forty yeah. percent of people are in casual contracts, and it basically just broke. You know, the algorithm, whatever data matching, you know, they used just couldn't. You know, it couldn't average out um, properly uh, throughout the course of six months. So it looked like that I was, you know, deliberately putting. Um, you know, deliberately putting less in uh, than I was earning. And Why are they averaging? They a... Why are they not just going, hang on, uh, was the total amount for the year, does that appara- match what they declared? Because apparently what you earn in a certain fortnight is what you'll earn in every other fortnight. Apparently casual casual and insecure and up and down hours and flexible arrangements don't exist, um, so they didn't need to account it's for moronic. it. It's moronic. It's incredible. And, and well, it's not moronic because they got what they wanted out of it, which was and, people paying it back, they got uh, cheap, yeah, and, and they got um, you know, to they've, say this fraud. And it's disgusting because I've, you know, I've known people who have taken their life because of because of robo debt, uh, and they've been crowing just recently about how many, you know, hundreds of millions of literally like blood from the stone yeah. uh, of you know uh, you know the poorest among us. So it's yeah. And right. when they put this stuff through Parliament, they're like, "This is how much we're going to squeeze out of the very bottom mm. value." Um, so VLA are Victoria Legal Aid are taking um, the department to yep. court over the because effectively it is it is not a reasonable. Um, system for a government to be imposing on vulnerable people, and yeah, I, so he's he's hoping they're successful. That. And that's and that's you know finally finally some good news um, on 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 the robot okay, front. Let's quickly stop there. We've got we've ended on some good news. <laughs> we've running, we're running. Okay, so that was that was a bit of good news. Strongly recommend it. Uh, people look up the uh, unemployed workers union website and yeah, and especially yeah, especially you know unemployed, underemployed, you know casually employed listeners. Basically, if you're not working as much as you'd like to be, uh, you know membership is free and. Uh, you can use you know any of our advocacy services, and you know we're going to be doing some you know pretty exciting like electoral uh, campaigning um, in and around Melbourne and all across Australia to try and get people 
having the kind of conversations that uh, that we had today and really trying to you know uh, make this demand for you know a social security safety net that is actually <laughs> a safety net and actually try and have that conversation because it's you know uh, people are uh, people are you know at breaking point and we we, we really need to all right thank you so much jeremy for coming on thanks the podcast. for having me it's been great um and thank you everybody for listening thank you for, thank you for coming back for another week thank you to our patreon subscribers i'd just like to uh send a message to regular listeners if you are enjoying the podcast and would like to see it keep going and you're thinking about maybe becoming a patreon subscriber we haven't at this moment got any specific patreon benefits but the benefit is that we are extremely grateful and you are contributing to the podcast keeping on going so if you would be interested in contributing financially to the podcast keeping going we would very much appreciate it it makes a huge difference and if you haven't left a review on itunes uh that would be very much appreciated because uh that is how people find the podcast but thank you everybody for uh coming back thank you robin gray for the music thank you alex lum for the artwork uh, also, feel free, please, to yeah, hit us up on the Twitter at Well May We Say, and uh, we, we very much enjoy having conversations back and forth with, with listeners about uh, matters that we've discussed. Um, otherwise, we'll see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye.